0: Greetings to you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the Sunday School Podcast for June 5th, 2022, and this is for the Festival of Pentecost. And for the Festival of Pentecost, we're looking at an Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This is, in fact, an old, old text That is directly related to Pentecost. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. This text, this story marks a uh, a division in scripture. From Genesis 1 through Genesis 11 verse 9, we have a history of mankind in general. You don't have different nations. You just have people. And most of them are wiped out in the flood. Only Noah and his family survive. But now again in Genesis 11, you have a lot of people, but still kind of one big grouping. After this story, however, the focus of Scripture will turn from a history of all mankind to the story of of Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, through whom Jesus, the Savior, will be born. So, if we want, we can uh, we can divide the Bible into three sections of history: Genesis one one through Genesis eleven verse nine, history of all people in general. And then Genesis 11, verse 10, through the Old Testament, and that's the history of Old Testament Israel, God's chosen people before the incarnation. And then with the Gospels and the arrival of Jesus, we have the history of the new Israel, the church. At any rate, today we are looking at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the story of the Tower of Babel. And the assumption is that this story takes place about 100 years after the flood. And we get this from genealogies. In, in chapter 11, verses 10 through 16, we have a genealogy that includes Peleg. And in the preceding chapter, chapter 10, verse 25, we have a note that Peleg was alive when the world divided. Now, some have speculated that this division of the world is a big earthquake, that the land splits. Some have said that this is actually proof of continental drift, that at one point, all lands were one big continent, and then they split apart and floated into the continents we have now. Really, the best bet is that the world divided under Peleg in that at the Tower of Babel in today's story, God scattered the peoples. They were divided one from another and began to, to migrate across the face of the earth. So, given the dates for Peleg's life, again, the assumption is that this story takes place about 100 years after the flood. Old Testament scholars have worked out that if uh, if families are averaging eight kids or so, there are probably about 30,000 people alive at this point after the flood. And who knows that's as good a guess as any. What is more interesting from the genealogies is that as this story takes place, Noah is still alive, and so is his son Shem. And that's important because that means you have two men who are on the ark, two righteous men who have seen, witnessed firsthand God's judgment upon the wicked. They're still alive. They're there to tell the story of the flood, to bear witness to God's judgment and God's deliverance, and to repeat to all the people God's promises of the Savior. So when we look at the Tower of Babel, it's not some isolated group of people who say we couldn't know any better. How could we know about God and his promises? Because... At this point, it seems mankind is all clumped together in one big group. They're not spreading out. And Shem and Noah are still alive and around to tell them about the Lord's promises. With that for our prologue, then we move to the text and we'll start out with this. Starting at verse 1 of Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a place in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. All right, so that's our first part of the story, the first half of the text, really. And so we find out that the whole earth still has one language, so they all have the same words. And if they all have the same words and they have the same ideas... They have the same uh, the same culture, most likely. They have the same understanding of spiritual things. In other words, these people are united in, in their religion, in their culture, in, in, in their, their worldview, as well as their language, because the same words create the same meanings. If you've ever done any work at, at learning a foreign language or any work translating, You know that every time you switch from one language to another, words lose some meanings, and sometimes they gain other meanings, and so it makes communication difficult. As this text starts out, everybody speaks the same language, and it appears they're all sticking together. And so people migrate from the East— and they find a place in the land of Shinar, and they settle there. Now, Shinar is an ancient name. In the Old Testament, it will later be the site of Babylon. So, this is kind of a fantastic literary theme that runs from here in Genesis 11 all the way through Revelation. Babylon will always be a symbol of, of people rebelling against God And persecuting his people. So, here, the first time we meet this description, um, Shinar is a place where they want to build the Tower of Babel. And it's most likely that Babylon gets its name from this word, Babel. Later on, of course, another big event will be that the Babylonian Empire captures the southern two tribes, destroys Jerusalem... Takes people into, takes the people of Jerusalem into exile as slaves. It's in Babylon that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are cast into the fiery furnace. It's there that Daniel is in the lion's den before God releases his people from Babylon and sends them back to Jerusalem. And again in the book of Revelation, Babylon returns. And it's, uh, it's a symbolic of, of the world persecuting God's people. So, um, from beginning to end, Babylon is, is bad news. Here, as we first hear of the site, it's called Shinar. And already the people who are there are saying, let's rebel against God. And what's the rebellion? They make bricks and they want to build for themselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Now, a lot of scholars have said that that this would be a, a, a ziggurat kind of tower. Um, if you're familiar with a ziggurat, it's kind of like a pyramid, except instead of having a, kind of a smooth uh, sides to it, a ziggurat has big stepped sides up. Um, now, this tower might be a ziggurat, though that would actually actually be a different word in the Hebrew. Um, whatever the case, it appears to be the first tower ever attempted by mankind they're not making a copy of something else this is a unique building a unique structure a tower and they want to reach the heavens with it and their purpose for reaching the heavens appears to be defiance because their purpose is to make a name for themselves Rather than rejoice in the name of the Lord, to give good witness to his name and, and to, um, as the second commandment says, not take his name in vain. Instead, they want to make a name for themselves. In essence, then, they, they want to take God's place. And what better way th- to show that than of, of building a tower up to the heavens if they can? Likewise, it's not just a tower. They want to build a city. That's significant as well, because after the flood, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God commanded Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Rather than fill the earth, the descendants of Noah and his family, they've decided to stay in one place on the plain of Shinar. they decided to build a city there. And live there as one group rather than spread across the world as God has directed them to do. So this city will be a further expression of their unified purpose. Remember, they've got the same language, the same words. They have the same ideas. They have the same spiritual thoughts. They have the same culture. Now they'll have this one big city in which they'll all live to show their unity together and the defiance of God. And perhaps, perhaps they're building this tower upwards because so far and throughout the Old Testament, often it is God who comes down to earth to visit man, to walk with man as he did in the Garden of Eden. And so now rebellious man says, forget God coming down to us. We'll show him something. We'll go up to him instead. So perhaps that's, uh, that's part of the thinking for the tower as well. Anyways, they build the tower and the city to make a name for themselves, apparently rejecting the name of God, and to stick together to avoid being dispersed across the face of the whole earth. All right, that's that's man's efforts in this story. Then we have in uh, Genesis 11, starting at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. All right, so the people said, let us let us build this tower. Let us reach the heavens. Let us go up to God. And what do we have in verse 5, God comes down. Um, whether or not God does so literally or just looks down from heaven, the point of that expression is, while the people are trying to build a tower up to him, he looks in judgment upon their efforts as they build this tower and city. We have no idea how far he lets them get, but he looks down and he says that they are that that, that this is wrong. Note in verse five, he doesn't call them his children. They're called children of man. They are, they are not reflecting God's image. They are are rich in the old Adam, or I should say they're poor in the old Adam. They've rebelled against God. They are children of men. And God notes that they are one people and they have one language. And this too is an offense to God because it is God who gives us words. It's God who uses words to get his work done. He creates, he heals, he saves by speaking. So words are not just some common thing lying around that God decides to use. Words are holy things. God makes use of them to reveal his will and to accomplish his will. And what is man using words for in this, in this story? He's using them to, to unite sinners against God. God. So, where man should use words, God's gift of words, to help one another and to pray, praise, and give thanks to God, instead, mankind is misusing words to rebel against God and his promises. So, what does God do? He says he will confuse their language. If their language is confused and they can't communicate, they won't be united anymore. And so God declares that this must be done because if they have one language, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they, that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Um, maybe not the best translation. Um, Uh, A better translation straight from the Hebrew would be, nothing that they devise to do will they desist from doing. In other words, they're going to keep on coming up with stuff to do together to rebel against me, and so their wickedness will only increase. And so God confuses their language to, uh, to, as, as judgment for the misuse of words and also to prevent them from, from doing more wicked stuff faster. Note here that when God speaks of himself, he uses the plural. Let us go down and confuse their language, he says. And it's not just the royal We. We had the Father and the Spirit already present at creation at the same time in Genesis chapter one verses one through three. In John 1 we know that Jesus is there as well so so when we hear Jesus when we hear rather God speak of himself in the plural and say, let us this is the triune God visiting and looking down upon mankind so. God declares that He will confuse their language, so they do not understand one another's speech. God carries us out, and we we don't have the details. How does this happen? Is that is it that all of a sudden the people are are speaking different languages? One minute one guy is speaking whatever they spoke before, and then he's speaking German. One other one speaking French. Another one is speaking Chinese. Is it that? While they had the same language before and are trying to speak it, now they're they're not hearing it anymore. Is it the tongue that's changed? Is it the ears that have changed? Is the mind processing the syllables differently? And does this happen all at once? Is it immediate at the snap of a finger, so to speak, or is it a gradual thing where it seems like people are are, are slowly going mad because all of a sudden they they can't communicate. They can't speak. They can't hear as they once did. They keep misunderstanding. Um, do they each have new languages or do they have to pull back and invent new languages here and there? All sorts of things we don't know about this, but what we do have is that God confuses their language. By the way, I remember uh, I remember. As a kid, there was a a TV show, I think on ABC on network TV that had a different Bible story acted out each week. And I remember vividly the story of the Tower of Babel where the people rebelled and God confused their language. And then as they're all running away from the tower, God is like hurling gigantic boulders or meteors at the tower and he's, he's blowing it up as they all run away. And that was spectacular special effects. Actually, it was 1970s TV special effects, so it wasn't spectacular at all, but it was still the implication that as they all run away, God is destroying the tower. Um, no record of that in the text. That's That just is to make the, the TV show more exciting. Here, God disperses them um, simply by confusing their speech. And so we read in verse 8 and following, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So before the Lord said to Noah and his descendants, you know, fill the earth, and they said, no, God declares that this directive is to be carried out, and so he, he disperses them through this judgment of confusing their languages. And for this, the uh, the place is called the Tower of, or the, the place is called Babel, the tower in the city, and that will become Babylon later on. If if you're wondering, there is, there is no etymological or there's no language connection between Babel B a b e l and babble b a b b l e. People in English don't babble because of the Tower of Babel. Rather, um, babbling in language today is associated with the with the Frankish word baby. Babies babble, and uh, and that's different from the old Hebrew word babble, which leads to Babylon. All right, so so in Genesis chapter eleven, we have all of mankind as one people, one nation with one language. They choose to rebel against God and and they evidence the rebellion by building the city and building this tower to reach the heavens. And in judgment for their rebellion, God disperses them by confusing their languages. And while that is a judgment, and while a lot of the misunderstanding and the cultural clashes and the wars of today come from communication problems and misunderstandings, as well as all sorts of human sin, while this is a judgment that God causes in Genesis 11, he is still promised the Savior. And so, in the fullness of time, Jesus is born. He lives, he dies, and he rises again. And before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Comforter, until the Holy Spirit comes, until they are anointed with power from on high. And the day of Pentecost is the mirror image of Babel. Acts chapter 2 is Genesis 11 in reverse. Remember, in Genesis 11, you start out with one whole people with one language. And because of their sin, God scatters them. In Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, not in Genesis, in Acts chapter 2, you have people from all around the world, from all the known world, all nations, if you will, in Jerusalem. And how does God bring them into one people, into the church? He unconfuses their language, if you will. As the apostles preach and preach the gospel, the mighty works of God through Jesus, each one who is present there hears the apostles speaking in his own language. So one more time, Genesis 11, there's one people that rebels against God, so God disperses them by by confusing their language. In Acts chapter 2, because Christ has come, God gathers them into one people, into the holy Christian church, by uniting them in hearing his word. And so, um, while languages still persist, and while I wouldn't understand a word that would be spoken, say, in the Ethiopian Lutheran church, if I went To Africa to listen to it. Um, While our languages are still different, we are still one holy people, the one holy Christian apostolic church, because while we're not united yet in a common language, we are united in one common word the scriptures, God's word inspired, and of course, Jesus, the word made flesh. And so we are one people, the church is united by God by means of his word. And we look forward to the day when when, when we're all in heaven and we're all speaking the same language once again. Which language will that be? We'll have to wait together to find out. But in the meantime, the Lord grants you every good gift as you meditate further upon this text. Um, The Lord bless you if you are teaching this to others, and God grant you every good gift until we speak again. Until then, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.